Thank you, guys. Thank you for getting us off to a great start in 2013. That's not just a song. That's true. That's theology. God never fails. And that's the reason we ought to be about the business. We ought to be intent in this new year. We ought to be intent about pleasing him. You discussed what that looks like. And uh, I would like for us, since it's, since it's such an important matter, to develop the theme, especially since the writer of the book we've been walking through, Hebrews, we're calling it the letter of better, this writer really, really wants us to see how important it is to please God in 2013. In fact, that's the theme of the one verse we'll look at tonight. It's Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 6. And uh, there's much that you and I can do in this next year, and there are many people who we could be beholden to, but I think the writer is going to make a persuasive case that it is far better to be intent on pleasing God in 2013 and forever. So this leads to the question, how do we do this? If this was your New Year's resolution, to be pleasing to God in this new year, how do you do it? Well, the writer of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, makes it crystal clear. Look what he says. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So this relates to our discussion. How do we please God? Without faith, says the writer, it's impossible to do so. So based upon this statement, uh, can a person who is merely good please God? Can a person who is merely religious, can a person who is merely famous, can a person who is merely intelligent please God? Can a person with good intentions, can a moral person, can a virtuous person, can a philanthropic person, can a, uh, can a Jewish person? I just do that. <sighs> According to this verse... None of those things ensure that God will be pleased because it says without faith, it is impossible to please him. According to this verse, only one thing pleases God, and that is the manifestation of faith. So then, what is faith? Look, <clears throat> I think many distort the idea of biblical faith. And some say faith is a measure of confidence in your own thoughts and words. So if you are intent on thinking into existence something you want God to do for you, if you want to speak into existence in the power of your own words a new and better reality, and if you stick to your thoughts and if you stick to your words, if you're confident about them, you're unwavering about them, you don't even allow any what some people call negative confession into your positive confession. If you do that, that's what some say is faith. But folks, that, that, that is not true. That is faith in your faith. That is a dependence on your, on your words and on your thoughts. But I think you'll see in Hebrews 11 as we continue to go through it, that the definition of biblical faith is not undue confidence in your words. It's unbridled confidence in God's word. It's not about what you say, what you speak into existence, what you promise. It's about what God has said. Now, if this is what biblical faith is, it implies you and I have to be about the business of knowing what God has said. Why? We can distort what God has said, 
We can think he promised us certain things when, in fact, he hasn't. And when we don't get them, we could be quite disappointed. For instance, uh, we're all aware of the tragedy uh, in Connecticut, 20 children. It's affected us. It's shocked us, the nation and the world, to the core of our being. It's, uh, it's evil. It's, uh, it shouldn't be. It is not right. We're repulsed by it. We're grasping for explanations and for reason. We're, 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 we're trying to think, how could this have possibly happened? And at this time, we hear a lot of voices uh, which say, where is God at a time like this? Perhaps you've heard this. Where is God? Well, well, the answer to the question is, which God are you speaking of? Because the God of the Bible is right where he always has been. But the God you have fabricated has never been. For instance, most people create a God after their own expectation of what he should do. Namely, God should grant me immunity from pain. God should always do good by me in spite of the fact that I'm not really too interested in doing good by him. No matter how I mistreat God, God should grant me immunity from the throes of life. Bad things should not happen if God is there. Well, folks, I like all that, but God never made those promises. That is not the God of the Bible. I don't want to ruin your night, but you know what the God of the Bible has promised? Things like this. I promise you that in the world you will have tribulation. Now, that's a real rough one to preach when you want to encourage people, but I'm telling you it's in the Word of God. Remember, biblical faith is confidence in what God said, not what I think he said, not what I say. God said in the world you'll have tribulation. You know what he said? Don't be so surprised and bent out of shape. Well, he didn't actually say it. That way, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Don't be so disturbed by the, listen to how dramatic it's put, at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your completion, for your perfecting, for your purification. Don't be so surprised by it. You know what God says? <clears throat> God said, they hated me and did not treat me fairly why should you have any other expectation? See, these are the promises of God. God has never promised us smooth sailing, freedom from pain and loss and suffering and grief. So when people cry out, where is God? What do you mean? The God of the Bible hasn't moved one bit. And even though he's been voted out of the schools, he really hasn't abandoned the people in the schools. He remains faithful and merciful and good, but he never promised us immunity from pain and suffering and disease and loss. That is not the God of the Bible. That is a God people are imagining to be there, but in fact, he is not. Do you know what God has promised? Not that we, even we his people, will be free from pain, but that he would be with us in the pain. Have you found that to be true? It's true. It's just true. Listen, we have every right to groan when in pain, 
And yet there's something in us, even at those times, that persuades us we have not been abandoned. God is with us in it. He has promised us to be with us in the pain. You know what else he's promised? To make use of the pain in ways that ultimately will redound to our good and his glory in terms of eternity. He has promised us not to waste pain, but to make full advantage of it, even in the pain we bring upon ourselves for our good in his glory. You know what else he's promised? He has said, you're going through a lot now. You're experiencing a high degree of affliction. But he said, I want to contrast it with something. When you come into eternity, the bliss of it all, The bliss of making it to the other side. The bliss of being in my presence and in a new body and free from sin. The bliss of being part of an undistracted worship community forever. The bliss of it all will so exceed your momentary light affliction that that's exactly what it will feel like. God is not minimizing our pain. He's saying, I just want to compare. Can you see how extreme it is your hurt? in comparison to the extent of the bliss which you will experience by faith in my sacrifice for you. What you're going through now, it will pale in comparison. These are the things that God has promised, but he has not promised us immunity from pain. So then, faith, the writer of Hebrews says, is indispensable confidence in the God of the Bible, in what he has said is indispensable if we are to be ones who please God. Folks, I want to ask you this. How could God be pleased with someone who doesn't trust what he has said? Would you? Let's imagine you consider yourself to be a trustworthy person, and there is another who doesn't trust you. How do you feel about that one? There is no way you can have affection or affinity for that one. That person is demeaning and defaming your trustworthy character if you think that's what you have. You cannot feel warm towards that person. That person who distrusts you, a trustworthy one, that one who doesn't believe you are for them when in fact you are for them, cannot be pleasing to you. How much more God? He in fact is trustworthy. He has never violated his trustworthiness. How could it be that you or I would dare to imagine he could ever be pleased with someone who, in fact, does not trust what he has said? So, folks, faith, biblical faith, is not imagining an outcome you want and persuading your mind to settle on it declaring it with your words and getting people to enter into agreement with you about it, that isn't biblical faith at all. That's a whole lot like New Age occultic thinking, to be honest with you. Biblical faith is confidence in what God has said. It's relying on what God has said to the extent that you believe what he has said is trustworthy, no matter what goes on in the physical world around you. So faith is taking God at his word. Do you realize how significant that is? It means God is not pleased by personal merit or virtue or sacrifice or good deeds if those things are detached
detached from faith in him. If those things are detached from faith in him and from his provision for sin, they're not pleasing to him. Adam and Eve sinned. And they do a few things that we continue to do today. The first thing they did was to hide. Where are you going to run to hide from the creator in what he created? They tried to hide among the trees God spoke into existence. That's the first thing they did. Let me just act as if God is not there. Practical atheism is what that is. The second thing they did was to blame their plight on uh, others. They didn't confess sin. He said, she's responsible. She said, the snake. <laughs> we, we didn't do anything. You know, we just, we made mistakes. We didn't sin. So blame shifting is the second human response for sin. And here's the most popular. It's called religion. Adam and Eve created, inaugurated the first religion. It's in Genesis 3. They were naked, the text tells us, before God. He, in fact, said, who told you that you were naked? No one had to preach that to them. The voice of their own conscience let them know that they were naked and vulnerable to the judgment of a holy God. God said, who told you you were naked? It's not that he lacked information. Whenever God asks a question, it's to give the one answering an opportunity to hear the answer. We know we're naked because we have sinned against you. We don't need anybody to preach to us about it. Our own conscience is screaming out to us that we have violated your commandment. And so you know what they did to make up for their nakedness? They made an apron of leaves. And I'm sure it was beautiful. Think of the creativity of it all. Think of how they wove it together, made it to fit. Think how colorful it was. Think about the textures of it all and all the rest. That's the first religion. It looks good. It's beautiful. But detached from faith in God's provision, it becomes an ugly thing. He had to clothe them with the skins of an animal. That's the only means by which human nakedness could be covered up. Not by our own effort, not by our good deeds, not by our show of righteousness and virtue, but by our repentance and confession. Oh, God, I am a sinner. I need your mercy. I accept your provision for my sin. That is biblical faith. So, so folks, I got to tell you, this verse that says, it doesn't say it's difficult to please God without faith. It says it's impossible to please. Think about it. It's impossible to please God without confidence in what he has promised and provided. So human religion, though it looks beautiful, look, my own is unbelievable. If you've ever gone to a synagogue, our liturgy is really, really beautiful. Maybe you come from certain religious backgrounds. Just magnificent, beautiful liturgy. You sing and you do responsive readings and the spiritual leaders are dressed in wonderfully attractive otherworldly garments and all the rest. And sometimes there's incense and smoke and man, it really looks cool. And means nothing. Absolutely nothing apart from faith in God's provision for sin. It's the beautiful side (laughs) of religion, but it is a stench, I'll show you in a second, in the nostrils of God. Biblical faith is an indispensable thing if we are to please God. And, and, And so this verse sums it 
all up. So can an atheist do good things? Yes, of course. Can an atheist be moral and ethical, maybe even more than some of us? Absolutely. That's not the argument. That's not the point we're disputing. But the good works of one who denies God are not acceptable to him as being good works. They look like a substitute for his good work. The one who denies God's provision for sin is essentially saying, my sin isn't that great and your mercy isn't that great. I don't have that much of a sin problem and therefore I don't need that much of your mercy because look at me, I can do good in my own strength. God hates that because... <coughs> It doesn't put him in the right place. Only faith does. Human virtue, religion, and merit elevates us and demotes God. Faith is the only thing that puts us in our place, a sinner, just as I am. We sang it without one plea. No plea of virtue or goodnesses or faithfulness or reliability, just as I am. Without one play. Faith reduces us to an appropriate level and lifts God up to an appropriate level. And that's why the writer says without that kind of faith, it is impossible to please. How could God be pleased with someone who in effect calls him a liar? God said, I am and you need me for forgiveness. And the person says, I don't believe you are and I don't believe I need you. That person has just called God a liar. How could God be pleased with that person? How could God be pleased with the person who has absolutely no confidence in him? Look, God said we have sin because it's our nature. But he also said he has mercy because that is his nature. He said, therefore, he stands ready to forgive our sin if we acknowledge it and accept his provision for sin, namely his son given over to death in our place for our sin. Faith is relying on that provision of God for sin. But if we choose to reject what God has done in place of what we do, even what we do that is good is not pleasing to God. You know what fascinates me? The Hollywood community. And the only reason I pick on them is that what they do is more public than other categories of people. I don't think they're worse than the rest of us necessarily. It's just that what they do hits the airwaves because they're famous people. And what fascinates me is that many, not all, many Hollywood personalities seem to be unashamed about the most immoral lifestyles, serial partners and all kinds of stuff. And then you'll see them doing a public service announcement about gun control or, you know, uh, feeding starving children in Africa or, you know, whatever. It's not a, that's not a bad thing. I don't mean to say that. But it's as if the person is saying, you know what, God? I don't believe I need you. And whenever the voice of my conscience stirs me up 
and reminds me that I've done wrong. I just cover it up with a good deed here or there. It's an apron of leaves. And that way, I don't have to make recourse to you. I don't need your mercy. I don't need your grace. I don't need confession. I don't need repentance. I can make my apron of leaves. It's just fascinating to me that so many in Hollywood take stands on what they consider to be what's right, what's wrong. Now the big deal is slavery, sex, trade, you know, whatever, around the world. This is a bad thing. Hollywood's on this bandwagon, you know what I mean? It's a good cause, but it's amazing to me. Those are so enslaved to their own passions. Take a... Uh, a strong stand on some of these other moral injustices. I'm telling you, it's an apron of leaves. And even though the cause may be justified, when one foists it up before God as a substitute for the blood of his own son, God says, I don't accept it. And I'll prove it to you. Not even religion, beautiful religion, is acceptable to God apart from faith in his provision for sin. So listen to this. Amos chapter 5. It pains me to read this because it's about, originally it's about my people, uh, and it's not good. Amos chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. God's speaking here. He says, I hate, I reject your festivals. We Jews have a million holidays. I mean, all kinds of stuff. We are always getting out of school for something. And God says, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. God acknowledges with this adjective, it's an assembly of a solemn kind. In spite of it, I hate it and I reject it. It looks beautiful, pomp, circumstance, ritual, liturgy, ceremony, all the rest. I hate it. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them. I won't even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take, get this, take away from me the noise of your songs. There are some religious groups with uh, an assemblage of vocalists that uh, can bring tears to your eyes. It's so, it's so uh, appealing to the air. So beautiful, so magnificent, and God calls it noise. I hate your festivals. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I won't even listen to the sound of your harps. One time, I was a missionary in Germany, and my wife uh, drugged me to a harp concert in Germany. Man, I did not want to go. And I am so glad that I was smart enough uh, uh, to give in because she was killing me. And, and I went because I thought, well, I'll just bring something to read. <clears throat> and I went, and it was captivating. Have you ever heard a harp? I, I, I know nothing about music, but I'm told it's extremely difficult to play. I don't know anything about that. All I know is <gasps> it was just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. They had harps in ancient Israel. God said, I won't even listen <clears throat> to the sound of your harps. You know what God said? 
all your religion, no matter how much you beautify it, invest in it, make it elaborate and complex, no matter how much you orchestrate it and plan it, all your vestments, all your stuff, all your parades, all this kind of stuff, it means nothing to me. Why? Because I desire a relationship, a personal relationship. And how could I have a relationship with you who call me a liar, with you who say you don't need me, with you who say in all this you could make up for your sin? I'm telling you, you can't. I'm telling you, I have to clothe you. You can't make a religious apron of leaves and cover up for your own nakedness apart from my grace. I will not accept this stuff as a substitute for the redemptive sacrifice that I have offered. Listen to this, Isaiah 57, verse 12. God again speaking, I will declare, he says this, I'll declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. God is saying, by your own standards in the world, you look righteous, and I see all these good deeds, I'll declare them. But then at the end, I'll issue a big, so what? They won't profit you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all your righteous deeds are to me like a filthy garment. How dare you think your unholinesses can be covered up by your own religious activity and good behaviors? Do you not know how unapproachably, uncompromisingly holy I am? Don't you realize only I can cover up for the nakedness of your sin? I'll declare, you don't have to persuade me of how good you've been, the good causes you gave yourself to, the sacrifices you made. The religion you were, you don't have to, I'll declare that. But it won't do you any good. It won't profit you. Folks, faith that pleases God is confidence in his character, not our own. Faith that pleases God is confidence in his words, not our own. Faith that pleases God is confidence in his one good, marvelously good deed, not our own good deeds. Here's the good deed. Jesus died and said, it is finished, paid in full. Biblical faith is confidence in his good deed, not in our own as a substitute. So what is it specifically that God wants us to believe? It's given in the rest of verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Look, for he who comes to God must believe two things. One, that he is, two, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. The first thing, without which you cannot please God, please God is a belief in his existence. Isn't it crazy for us to question it? You know what God's comment on atheism is? Not mine, his. He said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's a foolish position. Why? How do you explain the design in the cosmos, in the universe, apart from a designer. <laughs> Have you looked through a microscope? There's like a whole world there. Have you looked through a telescope? There's like another world there. You're in the middle. The microscopic world, the telescopic world, and human nature is astoundingly well-designed. Chance? Randomness? The design 
is evidence of the designer. God said, you cannot please me with your virtue, with your intellect, with your morality, with your accomplishments, with your humanitarian efforts, if you deny my existence. He who comes to God must believe, number one, that he is, and number two, that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, this is tough for us. Why? Most of us here are seeking him. What are we getting for it? Some even over the holidays experienced for the first time a holiday without a loved one. Is that what you got for following God? Some here have gotten cancer. Is that what you get for following God? Some here have lost jobs and income. Some here have kids on the run from God. Some here are suffering from emotional difficulties of various kinds. Is this what you get from following God? You want to know something? Some here have gotten beaten up, persecuted, and prejudiced specifically because you are following God. You know what God says? Trust me to be a rewarder of you who seek me in spite of what you're now going through. Trust that in the end, it'll all make sense. You'll see. You'll see. Trust that one day, when this side is all over, you'll see me face to face. And here's what you'll say. Oh, God, I should have trusted you more. And you'll cry, but don't worry. I'll wipe away every tear from your eyes. These are the two things that God requires in order to be pleased in this new year. One, don't act as if he's not there. He's an indispensable part of the equation of life. He is. And second, he is a rewarder of those who seek him. The writer of Hebrews, as I mentioned in times past, is writing to a mixed audience. They're all Jews, hence it's called Hebrews, but they're not all spiritually situated the same way. Some were true believers. Only other, others only professed to believe. It's the same way today when you address a large group. There are wheat and tares. Some truly are reborn. Others are not. But you speak to the group as if you're speaking only to believers, even though you know not everybody is. So that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He knows in the crowd are those who have truly confessed Jesus as Messiah. They're truly born again. And as a result, one of the signs is they're not tempted to go back to Judaism. But there are others in the crowd, and that very thing is happening to them. Why? The Christian life is not looking like they thought it was. It maybe was sold to them as if, oh, it'll be great. Every day is going to be smooth sailing. You'll get from God whatever you want. Good night. You'll get the last parking lot, you know, at the mall, Baybrook Mall during Christmas. I mean, you're going to be at the top of the heap for crying out loud. You're going to be immune from pain and loss and illness and all. You're going to be prosperous in all. That's how perhaps it was sold to them. It's sold to a lot today. This way. And then they're finding out, ooh, that's not true. They're finding out, man, now that I'm a Christian and I claim to be a Christian, my options are really limited. I can't do things I used to do, for crying out loud. I got to say no to this. I got to say no to that. I can't do relationships the way I used to do. I can't handle the money the way I used to do. I can't watch the same movies I used to watch. I can't drink the same stuff I used to drink. Boy, this Christian life is a drag. Not only that, 
People are hating me for it. Other Jews are calling me names. They're, not, they're, they're giving me a hard time. They're not letting my kids get into the good schools. I'm not getting promotions at work. You know what? Phew, this, this Christian thing, this, this Jesus thing, it's not always cracked up to be. I think I'm going to go back to Judaism. That's what was going on in Hebrews. And the writer is trying to persuade them, no, don't do it. <coughs> don't do it. Even though you've not been promised a life of ease for following the God-man, Jesus Christ, you must know he is, and he is a rewarder of those who seek. He's not a subtractor. He's not a punisher. You will see when all is said and done, you didn't come up short. You have no cause for shame. Your commitment to him was not in vain. You'll say, oh, God, I should have trusted you more. I see how you used all that for good. So those are the two things one has to really, really believe in 2013. If you want to please, please God, he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So what happens in this next year if we suffer and experience loss and whatever? You have every right to groan, moan, cry, get angry, even complain. I can show you in the scriptures that God is not put off by those things. But when you get that all out, you ought to see something inside of you. It's inexplicable. It's irrational. You can't even explain it, but it doesn't mean it's not there. There's something inside of you, an influence of some kind, which somehow has persuaded you, even though you can't make sense of what you're going through, that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. You can't explain it. You know why it is. And even in your complaining, who did you complain to? You complained to the God who's very much there because you know he could handle it. He's not thin-skinned. He has big shoulders. He knows not to take you seriously. He knows you're just a little child. He calls you a little child. He's your dad. You've said some stuff. You've spoken out of line. You've said, God, I didn't mean it. He said, when it's over, I know you didn't mean it. That's why I didn't wipe you out. So you could do all of those things, but you ought to, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you ought to see something. Well, it's not something, it's someone whose presence is in your life. Moving you past that until when it's all expelled. You take a deep breath. You see the tears for a second or two, and you say, God, I need you more than ever. I trust you. I know you're there. I'm not talking to the wind. I don't know why I believe in you because I do not see you. I, do not why I, I don't know why I trust you because you require things of me I don't get. I ask you for stuff and you say, not now. I ask you for stuff and you say, no. Sometimes you say to me, I'm about to expose you to something you won't like. You won't understand. And you're right. I don't like it and I don't understand. And yet in spite of it, I know you're there, and I know you're a rewarder of me who continues to seek you. Now, how do you get that kind of faith? <clears throat> One way, God's spirit. No other explanation. It's not strength. It's not be tough. It's not stick to it It's not force of will. His spirit in you. 
enables you to overcome. Even things you can't explain, don't understand, and don't appreciate about God. His spirit in you enables you to still be confident about the kind intentions of God. So God's spirit gives us this kind of faith. Second, God's people, which leads me to this. You and I cannot stop coming to church. Some are. I'm just so happy about Greg over there. Baptized Sunday, <laughs> church Wednesday. That's right. Keep it up. Why? Why? To get points with God? No, no, no. Listen here. If you want to grow in faith, you got to hang around faithful people. I, can I tell you something? We are good company for one another. Flawed, imperfect, sometimes disappointing. Of course, of course. But you will not find in this church, ever, I've not heard it in all the years I've been here, our pastor, anyone who stands in his place, undermine your faith, your confidence in God and in the word of God. Well, sometimes we say confusing things. Sometimes we have to apologize. I know that. I know that. <laughs> That's not the point. Do you realize the platform here? The platform is we believe God's word. We trust God. Folks, you need God's spirit to have the kind of faith that pleases him. You need to be around God's people. And thirdly, you need the word of God. This much I'm sure of. Romans 10, verse 17. You know this. And without uh, excuse me. So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. He uses it, even though you don't understand it all. The goal is not to understand all the scriptures. None of us do. Somehow in being exposed to it, we're exposed to the heart and mind of God. He uses it. It's his responsibility. He builds up our faith. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God, which leads me to this. I, I try to do this every year. Um, I made this up. It's a Bible reading plan, and you may have received it as you came in. But uh, don't worry if you did not. There's, there's a lot of them up here, and you could get them. Uh, why don't we do this? We, we have ushers standing ready to give you these if you would like to have one. Just raise your hand, and uh, if you don't mind, keep your hand up, and we'll, we'll get you one. And you can take as many of these as you want. You will forgive me the simplicity of it. If you're like me, I'm just not going to do stuff it's, if it's too complicated. You know, I'll get off to a good start, and then it just it's too hard. So all I did here was put every book of the Bible and every chapter of the Bible. So you see, it starts with Genesis, it ends with Revelation. And if I got it right this year, and Billy was good to remind me that I messed it up last year. Thank you, Em. Yeah, there's some here in front uh, later on, folks, if, if you would like to get them. I think this is correct. I don't think I left out any of the chapters, but I'm sure some of our engineers here will point that out if I did. But, 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 but here's, the, here's how you use this. Um, start reading the Bible, and when you read a chapter, start anywhere you want. It, you could start in Genesis, but you don't have to. Make it easy on yourself. Don't surround this by a lot of burdens. Make it a pleasurable experience. Uh, sit under God's uh, word. Let him build up your faith by exposing you to his word. So just start anywhere. Let's you, say you want to start in the book of Leviticus. Yeah, right. <laughs> let's say you do you just start there no problem but you start in chapter one don't start in chapter three you know the way God has done stuff he's so kind he gave us 
his book the way there's any book, chapter one, chapter two. So you don't want to read, you know, you wouldn't read a mystery novel starting in chapter four, would you? You read it in chapter one. So if you, whatever book you choose, start in chapter one. If you read a chapter, just cross it out. Maybe use a magic marker with color or something like that. And then you're going to see eventually, oh, look, more and more is being filled in. So this is an exercise to encourage you not, not, uh, uh, not to make you fail. There's no time limit. You do not have to get this done in 2013. Where does it say that? You don't have to do that. Just do it. Keep it in your Bible. Fold it. You read a chapter. Check it off. When you're done, look at it. Frame it. Brag about it. Whatever it is. Get another one, start again. It's just a simple Bible reading plan. No aids, no books, no commentaries, no nothing. Just read the Word of God, the simplicity and purity of Bible reading. It's almost a lost art. <laughs> just read the Bible. Don't worry about what you don't understand. Leave it up to God. He's the author to, to give you understanding about what he wants you to understand. So it's your Bible reading plan. Why? Because the scripture says faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. Okay, so, so let me close with this. It's a passage from 1 John chapter 5. Listen, 1 John 5, beginning in verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, and we do, don't we? You know, court of law, raise your right hand, I solemnly swear, boom, boom, boom. Okay, give your testimony. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has the one who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this that God has given us eternal life. I don't have a clue what this new year holds. <clears throat> but I know who holds my future. Look, 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 This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. Where is it? Where is it? How do I find it? This life is in his son. Please don't call God a liar. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son does not have the life. Look, it ought to be the heart's desire of every Christian <clears throat> to be pleasing to God. <laughs> this is exactly what you and I have done. The moment we said, oh God, I believe you about me and I believe you about you. I believe what you said about me. I'm a sinner. Owing you a debt I cannot pay. I believe what you said about you. You're gracious, merciful, Provided for forgiveness through the excruciating dying and then living of your own son in my place. I believe what you said about how you've granted me full and total forgiveness based on the merits of Jesus Christ. And not only that, you've adopted me into your family. So I'm not just someone who was adjudicated not guilty. I'm someone who's adopted into your family. Oh, God, I don't get it. I don't deserve it. I, I can't relate to it. It's never happened. But I believe you. I believe you are who you said you are. And I believe you are a rewarder of one such as me to the extent I seek you. So go from this place in the next few moments.
head up, shoulders back, if you're a Christian, and saying, oh, God, thank you for being already pleased with me because I have pleased you with my unbridled confidence in your provision for my sin. And if you can't leave that way, then just leave this part of our facility. Make your way to another in the back. Connection Center. I love it. It's where you can connect with people who care for you. It's even where you connect with the God who loves you. Go there and say, oh, God, I have this resounding conviction that I'm not pleasing to you. I've heard a little bit about how I can come to be pleasing to you. Ask someone there to tell you about it. Pray with that one. Then leave that room in 2013. Delighted in knowing Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. He said it. I believe it. Faith in God's word is what pleases him in 2013, now and forevermore. Lord Jesus, we delight in our own show of virtue. You say it falls short. We delight in our promises, our resolutions. We delight in turning over a new leaf and all the rest. You delight in one thing and one thing alone. That we believe what you said. That we rely on your promises and provision for our sin. That if you said you sent your son to die in our place and that contingent on our acceptance of him, you will take us up to be with you forevermore. Oh God, we believe that. And that faith is pleasing to you. Therefore, I pray, simple prayer. May there be not one person here who leaves this place this evening without being assured, oh God, by my faith, I know I am pleasing to you. Lord Jesus, thank you for making it possible for us to be in right relationship with you apart from our own works, but based upon your finished work on the cross. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.